Dan, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm Dan. I'm the secretary of Acorn Family from Penryn in Cornwall in the UK. Nice. I'll introduce myself. I'm Holly. I'm a senior remote organiser for Acorn UK, um, organising with members up and down the country, including Dan. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have a bit of a chat about Acorn Falmouth from Penrim um, and Dan's experience of Acorn in general. Um, so, yeah, Dan, do you want to start by telling us what is Falmouth from Penrim? Where, <laughs> where are you in the world? <laughs> Oh yeah, so Acorn uh, Farms from Penryn is based in Farms from Penryn, which is a uh, two towns right next to each other in uh, Cornwall, which is a duchy in the UK. It's like a county, but it's like a weird kind of county. Um, some would call it a country. Uh, many people would call it a nation. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, right in the bottom southwest of the country, so right in the little bottom left tip of the UK, um, if you're looking at a map. Uh, and that's where we're based. Uh, quite remote, really, quite far away from uh, the rest of the sort of southwest. Quite quite away from the rest of Acorn as well, really. Um, I think our nearest group or nearest branch is Bristol, and that's a good good three and a half hours away. So, um, yeah, that's where we are, um, right by the sea. Very picturesque. I can attest to the fact that it's a very beautiful part of the world. Um, what sort of population are we talking about, just to give people a bit of a reference point? So, obviously, Penryn is quite a lot smaller than Falmouth, isn't it? So, yeah, what's the rough population of both of them? Um, so, I know that the population of Falmouth is about 30,000. Um, Penryn, I'm not so sure of. I'd, have, I'd hazard a guess at around maybe 10,000. Maybe 10, could mm. even be less than that. So I, th- I, I think it that... might be quite a lot less, actually, you know. Yeah, I've got... I've got a memory of it being about two, three thousand, like really small. Oh, wow. Yeah, small. yeah. Mm. I guess. Yes, yeah, so I guess it's under forty thousand then, probably. Mm. In total. Yeah, and I guess for context, um, for our listeners who might be outside of the UK, um, Acorn UK started in mainly bigger cities. So, um, it started in Bristol, which I don't know the population of Bristol, but it's several hundred thousand. Um, and, you know, we've got branches in places like Birmingham, which I think Birmingham has over a million people. Um, so, yeah, Falmouth and Penryn at the moment is, um, I guess we can confidently say it's our group of the union that has the smallest population, um, which, yeah, presents lots of challenges and opportunities I'm sure Dan can tell us about. Um, but before we get into that, I guess let's start with, like, why did you join Acorn? What What's your Acorn story? Um, so my Acorn story actually didn't start in Falmouth and Penryn. Um, it started in Swindon, which I'm originally from. I uh, went to Falmouth and Penryn for university. Um, I was going. I was home for the summer uh, before going back to Falmouth, and um, I saw. I think it was like a news article online. The uh, well, a friend of mine who I'd been organising with previously, doing other activist type stuff. Um, he um, had got a zebra crossing put up in uh, like a neighbourhood in Swindon. It was like a housing estate and there was a lot of speeding. Mm. Um, There's a picture of uh, people with red shirts with their fist in the air because they just got a, uh, a zebra crossing put up, um, which I thought was just really cool that a thing that actually happened through people organising together and had actually won something concrete because um, <laughs> it's actually quite a... Quite a novel thing actually when you like when you're not used to that kind of um 
when you're not used to being in Acorn, it's like seeing someone actually sort of protest something effectively and win something uh, with clear like demands. Um, so I thought that was great, and I signed up to Acorn in Swindon. Uh, went door knocking with them. Went to a couple of like uh, Zoom trainings because this was kind of mid mid pandemic time still. Um, and then eventually, when I went back to Fan from Pedrin, um, just by chance, um, a Facebook event popped up um, of people wanting to start a tenants union in Fan from Pedrin. So it was sort of it all just kind of happened at the same time, really, like within a few months of each other. And I thought, well, great, I'm already a part of Acorn, so I joined the joined the Zoom call. Um, and yeah, within a few weeks, we were already sort of in the in the midst of getting a getting a branch, well, not branch, but a group uh, started up. So we had about ten or fifteen or so of us um, that got together, uh, mainly just on Zoom. Um, and yeah, just had a, we had our launch in November of twenty twenty, um, and we've been going from there really. So it started off mainly online, and as we sort of came out of lockdowns, we sort of grew into what we are now. Um, which is a very active and growing Acorn group. Yeah. And can you talk us through like a little bit of the process for how you actually got the group in Falmouth and Pemmering going? Like what, what did you do up until the launch? I can't really remember at what point you, you got involved, but yeah, like what, what was the process before you actually launched whilst it was all online? Um, so it was, so at first I think we were just talking with each other. So it was just, um, we were just talking about what the options were for starting a tenants union and Acorn was the first thing that came up. Um, and the next zoom call we had after we discussed that we thought, yeah, that's a good idea. We want to do that. Um, we had a zoom call, uh, I think it was with Aiden, the, one of the organizers from Bristol. Um, and he basically gave us the ins and outs of what we needed to do, what what the minimum number of people we needed to start a group. Um, and this, and we, he set up a series of sort of trainings for us as well. So some sort of ACORN 101 stuff where I explained what ACORN is, um, a few trainings on door knocking, uh, trainings on um, eviction resistances and stuff like that. I think it was, um, yeah, it was mainly that really. And, um, and then we also had, I think we started off with a member defence case as well quite soon into... Um, either just after we launched or just before we launched was when we had um, someone join up who actually needed uh, uh, some help from Acorn as well. So that was sort of our, our launch pad to, to get started when we were launched as well. Um, and so, yeah, so obviously we uh, had our sort of launch thing over Zoom as well because we were still in pandemic at that time as well. Um, and we set up the committee so we had our five committee positions filled and I think that was pretty much the stamp of approval for us to be an official group at that point is when we had a committee and we officially had enough members to to constitute being a group. Hmm. How did you find trying to get things going during the pandemic because um, obviously a big part of the ACORN model <clears throat> whether it's what we're doing now in the UK or you know back in the 70s in in the US is about building face-to-face relationships. You mentioned door knocking. That's such a big part of our model, going out, speaking to people in the community that otherwise wouldn't wouldn't know about unions and wouldn't know what we're doing and getting them involved. Um, so, yeah, like what were the pros and cons of trying to get started in the pandemic, do you think? Um, i say the cons were definitely, like you said, the face-to-face connection just wasn't there. Uh, we couldn't go out and knock on doors of people. So it's only really other like-minded people that were on site anyway that we were talking to. Um the pros, I guess, was that 
getting those meetings sorted was very easy because everyone could do it from their home. Um, even our first member defence case was pretty much done from everyone's home. We never had to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it was won by a single email. Um, so that was sort of a, a victory that we had as part of that as well. So it, it helped in that way. Um, but yeah, the cons definitely were yeah not having the face-to-face interaction, um, not being out on the streets, being able to take direct action in person against you know targets because there was a lot of restrictions about going anywhere at that time. Um, and yeah, I guess yeah, not not having that sort of that in-person solidarity with the other members as well. I think we had sort of like some socially distanced picnics and stuff, and that's how I ended up meeting my girlfriend as well. So that's <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was quite. Um, it was still quite a tight-knit group, even though we didn't see each other that often. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it did make things difficult in terms of recruiting members and also getting people along to stuff because every time we wanted to do a training or a meeting, it was always on Zoom, and it's not always the most engaging thing to be in a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. Um, it's being there in real life where you can talk to people and maybe go for a drink afterwards and, you know, you start to really interact with people on that level. But it's, Zoom's very different. It's not um, It's not quite the same when it's sort of like a two-dimensional sort of screen and it feels it feels very much like a like a lecture or a school a school type thing you know it doesn't feel like um you're really meeting people probably mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a lot of the similar challenges like a lot of our existing branches and groups faced as well I think one of the positive things we saw is that because we had that existing organizing and branch infrastructure in a lot of places it, it quickly got adapted to you know delivering meals delivering people shopping like providing that kind of emergency um solidarity that that people needed there's definitely pros isn't there in that it's like such a lower barrier to entry I mean you've got a captive audience when people are just sitting at home twiddling their (laughs) twiddling their thumbs with not much to do um even if they end up with zoom zoom fatigue um because I I started trying to build the uh south end group of acorn during the pandemic as well and I think yeah can definitely um relate to some of those positives and and negatives um well, so if that's how, how it started, where where are you at now? So if you had, how many members did you have when you launched back in pandemic times? I think we probably had about uh, 12 to 15. I think mm-hmm. we had about, probably about 15. And there's only really a core group of about 10 yeah. that were actually turning up to stuff as well. Um, so we probably started with about 10 turning up to Zoom calls. Um and then I think we've been a, a branch, not branch, we've been a group two years now. And we're now sitting on 79, I think. Mm. Um, so I, I, I mean, my last count. That's why I've been going around telling people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so that's what we're on now. So over those two years, that's grown pretty rapidly. I mean, it's, it's it had its sort of, it had its peaks and troughs. Mm-hmm. Um uh, right at the start so it's sort of like we grew very very slowly at the start because we couldn't really go out and recruit and um and that sort of thing and then because it was so small you really relied on people to be active for it to, to for it to keep going and the number of active members started dwindling a bit um and then that first our first summer is when we really were at sort of like the breaking point of like well we've got like only a few active members at the moment we've not really got a committee left um it was close to being like, oh, we might have to actually fold it here because there's not really much point going on. Um, and then over the summer, we had a member defence case, which was um, an eviction resistance, where we met someone at a housing demo in Cornwall. Um, 
because housing is such a massive issue down here because like you said it being so picturesque picturesque and beautiful place to live a big second home holiday let's problem um this was a demo to address that basically um to address the fact that people couldn't uh, afford to, to live here um and there were no homes available and someone talked to the demo saying that they were being kicked out of their house and that they were being uh, evicted uh, and so uh, me and my friend john and girlfriend ellie went and chatted to this guy and uh got him signed up to acorn and that sort of galvanized people then our active members and people who weren't members yet that galvanized them to it was like a call to action right that we know that the bailiffs are going to come to his house in two weeks we need to be there to physically block it from happening um and that, that sort of call to action, I think, um, invigorated people because it was like a big thing that needed to be done urgently. Um, so we got a good turnout. Um, you know, we sort of, we just, we knocked on doors of, I think John knocked on the doors of like all of his neighbours in the street, um, people that weren't even call members yet and just got them out to, got them out to the eviction resistance. Um, we had loads of people there. We got local media along. Um, the fact that we got local media along, along as well meant that it blew up online and it got, you know, hundreds of thousands of views, I think, in the end of the, the live stream of it happening. Um, and so that that eviction resistance where we blocked the bailiffs um, and stopped this guy getting kicked out, that really kicked off the branch, uh, kicked off the group again. And our membership started flying up after that. And it was pretty much upwards from there. Um, and we just sort of grew and grew. And as we got more active members in, it sort of became more sustainable. And we got a full committee and um, got a campaign kicked off. and yeah it's been a it's been upwards from there really so it was a, it was a bit of a peak and a bit of a trough uh in the summer of 2021 and then sort of flew up again pretty soon after that summer and it's been a nice steady increase from there really nice um how would you describe the experience of resisting that eviction because i guess for a lot of people it's not something they've you know they'd expect expect to go through in life um or won't have experienced um so yeah like what what was it like being able to stop that eviction for mike with the union yeah it's great i mean it's hard to describe it um really without you know going through it yourself but it's, it's quite a it's quite a surreal thing but i think it's i think people have said it before when, when they've when they talked about eviction resistances that it's like it's the most uh clear way of showing someone what acorns about um it's like you're a body you're a huge number of people stood physically between someone who's trying to exert their power over someone who has no power and you're using your numbers as power to protect that person um and so that feels really good i had like being sort of shoulder to shoulder with people a lot of people you don't know as well like i've never met most of these people in the day um, but we were all there for the same purpose and the same goal of like helping this one person in our community, just for, just for the simple fact that they were another person in our community. Um, you know, we didn't have any personal connection to them. Um, and yeah, it, it was pretty scary. I mean, we had prepared for it, like we'd had training for it. And, you know, I'd, it was one of the first things that I'd got trained for when I was in Swindon was a, a Zoom call about eviction resistances. So I knew sort of about what, how an ACORN group would organize um, an eviction resistance so that gave me some security of knowing you know what could happen uh what to do what roles needed to be filled um but we weren't prepared for like the bailiff's response because it ended up getting um like they ended up actually trying to physically like handle us on on the door like tried to physically like remove us 
which we didn't think was going to happen because normally eviction resistances don't go that way. Normally, like you, the bailiffs see a big crowd of people and they don't bother because this like it's not worth their time. Um, but in this case, because most of our uh, people that sort of like we had older people there, journalists and uh, babies and younger people, they sort of like filtered out throughout the day because they had to be somewhere because we, we had to be there for quite a while because we weren't sure how long the bailiffs were going to be there for. Um, so they saw all of that, all of us there, went away because it wasn't worth it, and then drove past again a couple of hours later, and there was less of us, probably about eight or ten of us, quite young, quite studenty looking, and they thought we'll give it another pop, and they were sort of there with the police as well. The police were sort of aiding them in it, which is, which again, we we didn't expect because they're not supposed to work together. They're not, <laughs> you know, it's it's not a criminal matter; it's a civil matter. The police didn't really have any reason to be there in the first place, hmm. um, and yeah, that's when they decided to just go hell for leather and try and rip the garden fence off the hinges and um yeah throw started throwing people around and that was pretty uh that was pretty scary pretty terrifying but we still managed to get back to the door and retreat back and and still like blocked them to the point where we sort of just huddled around the door to the point where they would have literally had to have started like actually hurting us <laughs> like to get us away from that door and i think the police realized that and although they were just walking behind watching the bailiffs the entire time eventually they said um yeah, we're a bit worried about what it's going to take to get you in. <laughs> it was a sort of like bittersweet relief to hear that. Yeah. Because um, although we knew the police weren't on our side and they weren't doing anything to help, it was still like, right, they're probably not going to try this much longer. Um, yeah, so that was pretty sort of, I think that shook a lot of people up and it sort of took a while for that to, to settle down and for the nerves to settle. But once the nerves did settle and the day was over and we knew that, that um, our member was safe, that was when the, the it felt like a win. That's when it felt like a victory. That's when it was like to really. That's when it was really satisfying. Um, but yeah, initially it was very scary and it was quite nerve wracking, um, but also still very like heartwarming when you've got that many people out. Um, yeah, showing solidarity with each other. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's very much bittersweet, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, we never want any bailiffs or police like manhandling our our members, throwing them to the ground. Um, but at the same time, it it hardens us because we realise how important it is we do have to fight because like that's what they'll do if we don't, um, whether we're there or not. Um, I guess it was quite surreal for me because <laughs> being a remote organiser, I watched the entire thing on, on live stream on Facebook, um, <laughs> which was handy, actually, given that, you know, some of the difficulties of my job, um, which, yeah, for people listening who might not have that context. Um, in Acorn UK, we have um, what we call the remote organising department. So organisers that are supporting members and branches of the union that we don't yet have the resources or for whatever reason haven't got a, a full-time um, organiser in, in the place itself. Um, so, yeah, one of the difficulties of that is I can't be at actions very often. Um, so I found it inter interesting that it was useful for the action to have the media there because it was putting pressure on the police to do the right thing and eventually step in um, to stop the bailiffs going too far, although obviously we know they'd definitely already gone too far in the way they were treating our members. Um, but it also meant I knew exactly what was happening, <laughs> which, um, you know, in such a high-stakes situation where members are, yeah, basically being assaulted by bailiffs and, um, you know, things are going a little bit wrong, um, that was very useful as an organising tool as well, so... 
that is uh, on my list for any future eviction resistances that I, I help to organise is make make sure we get someone down there live streaming it on Facebook. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, obviously that's been useful for you guys as a group. Um, uh, you've more than doubled your membership in the last year, which is massive, on your way to becoming a branch, which um, for Acorn UK, basically when... When groups of the union in certain places go over 100 members, they become branches, they get properly incorporated into the structures of the union. Um, I think Dan kind of alluded to some of the reasons for that, which is that ultimately when we're organising, like all of our organising is to some degree an experiment, like things will go up and down, momentum will, will ebb and flow, people might lose interest, people might move away, that kind of thing. And you saw that when you had a bit of a dip in, in interest in that summer. Um but once we've got to that branch status, we know that we've got a, a solid base of members with a solid infrastructure for, for fighting these battles, stopping evictions, fighting campaigns. Um, you know, it's, it's done wonders for Acorn Farmer from Penryn and you're stronger than ever. I think as well, it's taught us a lot of uh, lessons as an organisation, because like I said, it's the first time we've properly organised in, in a place with a lower population density, a more rural place. I think some of the key things that come out of that, particularly... Um, when talking to John, who was the secretary at the time, shortly after, um, you know, like we were saying, Pembrin's got about, what, 3,000 people in roughly, um, or whatever it is, it's less than 10,000. It's probably not other eviction resistances going on that day, and that's probably why the bailiffs were able to come back, whereas when we've been historically trying to resist evictions in big cities with populations of over a million people, they've probably got a long old list of, uh, <laughs> of people they need to go and evict, and they just move on. Um, even things as well, like the police officer that was there coming back round the next week to one of our members' house for a different reason and recognising him from, from the uh, from the eviction resistance line. All things that we'd not necessarily encountered in, in our organising before simply because we just hadn't been in places like Falmouth and Penryn. Um, so, yeah, it's a difficult thing for our members to go through, to be treated like that by the bailiffs and also, um, yeah, by proxy by the police because they let it get it as go as far as it did um but i think ultimately like every struggle we go through as as the a union it's we've come out of it stronger in um more more ways than one um what do you think it is that you're most proud of as acorn farmer from Pemrin? um i think i'm most proud of what we've done with the resources we have and what we've done with like like you said about the size of the place that we have um, the fact that we've been so active and so like um, of getting such momentum, um, it's just been really good. I felt I felt it felt like um, yeah, it was it was rewarding having that sort of that time when you you feel like there's only a couple of you there, and then you cut to a year later, and you know people are, you you walk outside of a pub and you just see people like doing the stall without you there it's, it's, like, it's a functioning thing without you being there it's mm -hmm. um it's like a it's a it's a you've you've like yeah you brought something up to the point where it's an actual functioning union in your town and you feel like it's one of those active unions in your town as well like you know people know of us when you know when we when we're around town um and we're like an all such a visible presence around town um people kind of expect us to be there in certain situations, which I think is really great, um, considering that there are organisations and unions much bigger than us that are in Cornwall, but are nowhere near as visible, um, and nowhere near as active um, as we are, um, which I think is really, really encouraging that we sort of like built this 
movement sort of like from absolutely nothing into something which is like one of the most active groups down here um is yeah it's really i think that's really something to be proud of Mm. yeah definitely i totally agree it's really impressive and it's something that is recognized all across the union as well like i was just in a meeting earlier today with some of our welsh leaders um and I was given a little bit of an update of some of our big wins up and down the country over the last year. And I always just like to throw in Falmouth from Penryn to every uh, to every update. And they were super excited about the fact that you've managed to double your membership. The fact that um, we'll get onto this later, but the fact that even when we're, you know, admittedly punching above our weight with this campaign that we've been waging for ages. Right. Um, because often we don't actually fight big campaigns like the ones we've been fighting in Falmouth and Penryn until we kind of hit that branch status, but we've actually managed to make massive headway with it. Um, you know, they're massively impressed by that, and I've always been massively impressed by that as well. Um, I think there's massive opportunities that come with that lower um, population, the rural organising um like you say, you've basically managed to build a massive... I keep saying the word massive. It's like my word of the day. A big <laughs> a big reputation for yourself locally, which is harder if you're in a massive... Again, massive. If you're in a huge city like Manchester, for example, if you resist an eviction in one part of Manchester, that's not going to reverberate across the whole of Greater Manchester. Um, whereas in Falmouth and Penryn, like, that's headline news, really. Um, even things like if you stick an acorn massive acorn flag up in the middle of Falmouth <laughs> it's, it's going to have a bigger impact than if you started waving it around in the in the, the middle of Manchester um I think it's to, it's also like it comes to our advantage in some ways as well because of that density because everyone is so close together that if you did need to mobilize people quickly mm-hmm. they're only around the corner yeah um everyone's within walking distance of each other um so you know you we, we can be active because we can get to things quickly and we can get to each other quickly um, so I think that helps as well that it it does feel like a sort of tight knit community, which is what you know it's really all about in, the, in a sense. Mm-hmm. But we we've got that naturally within the town that we have. Yeah, I think that's um, really useful for organising. I was talking to an organiser who's from a um, a bigger city recently. Uh, Manchester I think actually and yeah they were talking about how actually it's quite difficult to even do a basic thing of get people regularly to meetings because Manchester's such a massive place so they've had to experiment with uh, right shall we start doing meetings in different parts of the city and rotate where we host them that kind of thing and I think it's such a strength to be able to say right you know if Dan was getting evicted tomorrow um, a few of us could literally run around knocking on the on the doors of the members <laughs> that we've got because no one can be that that far out of like you know a pretty um, small radius and we could mobilise tomorrow. Like it allows you to be a lot more flexible, flexible and reactive. I think, um, which is yeah a massive massive strength. Um, do you think it helps you to like build closer bonds and relationships with your fellow like union members as well? I think it definitely does, yeah. I mean, like, because you just, it's so much easier to be mutual friends with people in such a small place because everyone knows everyone anyway. So when you see a new member come along, like, oh, you probably recognize them from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people go and watch the same bands together. It's a uni town as well. So there's a lot of students that all see each other. Um, you know, I, I'm not a student anymore, but like, I've stayed down here afterwards, and a lot of other people have done the same thing. So it's a very, like, it's a very active town. Like, there's a lot going on. It's lively, there's a good music scene. Um, so there's loads of opportunity to like 
to meet with people and there's just so much crossover and stuff you do um you know you'll have an acorn meeting and then later that evening there'll be a gig on and you'll go and you'll see most of the people from acorn there at the gig um it's got quite a sort of quite like a thriving little community um and yeah i think that's it, it helps so much because yeah you, you get the social side of it as well because if you're doing something in Falmouth, likelihood is you'll see everyone else doing the same thing because there's there's only a few things going on in a small area. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, again, it was just it does feel like a community union when you're in a smaller place. I think. Um, <coughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that is re- really nice, um, and something that is just so hard to recreate in a bigger place, right? Like I remember talking to John, the previous secretary, um about how it would just be down the pub, like chatting to people about Acorn or, um, you know, walk out in the street and see people, you know, and, and be like, oh, yeah, I'm just heading off <coughs> to do a bit of door knocking for, for Acorn. Um, Want to sign up for <laughs> even before he's got to a door or whatever. Um, yeah, like you say, you know, we're a community union at the end of the day. We're here to f- to fight the baddies and then build power, but it's nice if we're able to actually build a, a proper sense of community um in the process particularly when we we live in um you know a time where we're lacking that um and people are more kind of separated from from each other than ever really um i guess like we've spoken a little bit about you know what are you most proud of as acorn falmouth and Pemrin? obviously like you've been doing this uh, as an individual for quite a long time now um like what what kind of impact do you think acorns had on you or like your life specifically? I mean, it's been huge, really. I mean, I sort of, I think, I don't think about it that much, but it, I, I shouldn't underestimate um, what it's done, really. I mean, it's how I met my partner that I'm with now, which is a massive thing in itself, um, that we sort of bonded over that sort of shared sort of I- idea of wanting to build um, a local acorn group. Um, but just like the way it's made me sort of think about organising as just a concept um, with not just Acorn, but with any other thing that I'm that I want to do or achieve, um, you know, even when I'm talking, you know, even when I'm with my housemate and we're in our football team, and he's talking about, uh, you know, people on the team not pulling their weight, and you know, uh, we, n- we haven't organised a social in a while, and and like it's just sort of in my head, I've got the the organiser thing of just trying to like thread the needles of what what needs to happen where for things to get done, and like always having an action point whenever you're whenever i'm doing something now it's like okay why am i do, like always wanting a purpose of why you're doing something you know what what am i trying to achieve how what's the best way to achieve it and just go straight to the source of the problem to achieve it and mm-hmm. um, sort of just giving me like a direct action sort of like mindset for other things that isn't just um, with acorn um but like in terms of just like my political development as well like it, it really helps me to develop like my own ideas about things because uh, is it everything that I am now learning is through practice rather than just I don't know reading stuff online or talking talking to people who are also just like just rambling on about politics with not actually any basis in reality. It's just sort of it's just sort of like words online or a, a sort of discussion about hypothetical situations that are never going to happen. Um, it's like it's all in it's all in real life. I think that's the best thing about it is that it's it's been like a real life experience of politics and of of, of organizing um so it's just really valuable because it makes me feel like i'm more grounded in reality as well um when i when i talk about things 
in a broader context, I know that I've got real life experience to back it up. I'm not just saying it because I think it, or I've heard read it in a newspaper or read it somewhere online. I've, I've gone through it and I've experienced it. And yeah, it makes me feel good as well that I'm, that I'm, I don't just believe things without doing anything about it. And mm -hmm. um, I'm week by week, I'm actively acting out what I believe. I think that's really important. It's really like motivating as well. When you sort of like, you feel like you don't want to do it anymore. It's like, it's that thing of, well, if I'm going to keep believing the things I'm going to believe and I'm going to keep acting on them. Otherwise it's sort of, yeah, what's the point of believing it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I always say, you know, the, the one thing about Acorn that's different to a lot of other similar groups or political groups or whatever it might be, like anything else I've been involved in before, um, is that we actually win stuff, which, you know, for those of us who are trying to change the world, <laughs> actually can feel like it doesn't happen often but whether it's stopping um you know mike's eviction making small wins on the way to our bigger campaign like you know every every day we're winning repairs stopping evictions like getting people what they deserve basically whether it's on a really small scale or a big scale the fact that we're able to do that is pretty massive when like you say you know it can be easy to fall into a trap of um talking a lot about what needs to be done um, talking a lot about our ideas and, and not actually being able to put it into practice. Um, I think as well, it, it, it's a it's a long term. You, you start thinking more long term with things as well, yeah. um, and, and thinking about the smaller steps on the way to a big victory. Um, I think it's it, it was one of the things that was so demoralising about uh, doing any sort of activism or any sort of yeah uh, wanting to change stuff before being in an acorn is that everything was this mammoth task. That you were just trying to change the biggest thing in the world straight away with no strategy mm. um, it's so demoralizing because you mm -hmm. realize that you just you, you you can't do it and you just get you lose all hope and i think so many people have lost all hope in trying to do anything because they just see this big mammoth task in front of them but having the sort of mentality of well you can't win that but you could win this very small much more winnable thing mm -hmm. that build power from it's that whole idea of like building your base level of power and just growing and growing and growing I think have, like having that mentality is so like it changes the way you look at things so so much that it really helps to get over that pessimism mm -hmm. and that sort of feeling that you can't change stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like ultimately, that pessimism isn't going to get us anywhere. It's just going to lead to inaction, right? Um, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever found yourself using like Acorn ways of thinking to to deal with things outside of Acorn? Yeah, a few times. I mean, like, now that, because um, I, I organise, I help organise, like, um, music events with my with my mates as well. Mm. And we started, like, a new events collective. So now when we're talking about, like, organising the next event, you know, we've got sort of, like, a list of stuff we need to do. And I'm sort of, I've, yeah, I've got the acorn head on of, yeah. okay, when, when <laughs> we need, by this time, we need to get this many people to turn out. How are we going to get to turn out? You know, what are we going to do? Um, how long have we got? Um, what resources do we have? Um well, who can I delegate tasks to? Who can delegate tasks to me? That kind of thing. So it it, mm. it just, yeah, it helps because you don't get flustered by a big task because mm -hmm. you can break it down into smaller tasks and um, you're just better at dealing with people as well. Like you, if someone's not going to do something, you're ready to with an alternative thing to do to step in. Mm -hmm. if, someone can't, if someone can't do something, you know, because you're, you're used to having to adapt to that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's helpful with, with anything really. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever wheeled the strategy chart out at a, 
<laughs> at a meeting to plan one of your nights. I only ever whip out the strategy chart if it's absolutely needed. <laughs> I need the strategy chart. So I'm just trying to hammer it into people's heads for about six months. Yeah. <laughs> it just wouldn't go in. <laughs> one of my um, colleagues uh, used the strategy chart to work out how to, um, like, he needed to get his gran out of a care home because it was just like a bad care home and he needed to figure out how they were going to do it practically. So he had the strategy chart out. And I also recently found myself doing it, trying to, um, I was helping my brother try and apply for jobs and like get a new job. And we had the strategy chart out. We had the short term, medium term, long term goals. We had a whole timeline of like when he's applying for jobs and all this stuff. And he got a job. So, <laughs> you know, it works. Um, but yeah, that is, you know, one of the main things I love about Acorn is it just completely changes the way you think about everything, like the world. Um, and without sounding melodramatic, it's almost like it makes, it feel like you could do anything. I mean, within reason, <laughs> but because you have the tools there to like break down what can feel like an overwhelming task into into the steps you need to be able to actually do it right. Like you were saying with your with your, your jungle nights and stuff, like it can feel quite overwhelming. It felt overwhelming for my brother to get a new job. We figured out what some of the, the steps were along the way, just like you know me and you would if we were talking about an acorn campaign. But it, it makes it not overwhelming when you do it that way. That's the thing, and it's, mm. that's that's what's so great about it, mm-hmm. is that it doesn't feel like you're overwhelmed. And then you you sort of you have to pinch yourself sometimes you, when you realize when you win something, you go, "Is that literally all it took? Like, all we had to do?" <laughs> yeah. Like, we had a lot of effort, but like really, we didn't actually do that much to mm-hmm. like win. Like, we, if like imagine if everyone did this. Yeah. Like, imagine, like, <laughs> we can <laughs> have it all. <laughs> <laughs> just like everyone just had this mentality of just like if they wanted to solve problems they would just do it this way if they wanted to like see something change they would just do it this way yeah if people were in these very like small groups because really like you know the biggest acorn branch is like what 1500 people mm-hmm. you know, are still it's, it's a big number of people but it's fairly small in terms of like the wide scale of people mm-hmm. but the fact that like that those small groups can win big things in fairly big areas yeah is yeah it's testament to the fact that like you really could do so much more <laughs> if you had like more people doing it like it doesn't take that much to do it really mm. it just takes like good organizing good strategizing yeah yeah exactly i couldn't agree more um cool well let's fast forward to the present because me and you haven't been able to have a, a, a in-depth chat about some of the recent developments in the campaign um so we've alluded to the campaign but do you want to tell us uh, you know what is the homes before holidays campaign what are the demands and yeah what what have we done so far in Falmouth and Penryn to achieve those yeah so those before holidays campaign was a campaign that was devised basically because the the biggest issue around Falmouth and Penryn and Cornwall more broadly is housing and the lack of housing um, and one of the big reasons for that is a huge number of second homes and holiday lets which leaves buildings empty for large portions of the year uh, pushes up house prices massively in loads of areas so people get priced out of the area. Uh, you get whole villages that are just sort of like empty in most of the year. Um, and in Falmouth and Penryn, it's a big problem as well. And you've got the compounding issue of like, it's a student town as well, so there's an even bigger strain on people for, for housing. So it's like a big um, melting part of this issue. Um, so we decided that we were going to uh, devise a campaign around it um, to try and tackle the second home and holiday let's problem. Obviously, like ideally, a big radical solution to this would be like, right, let's ban second home ownership, let's ban holiday lets, or whatever. But obviously, like, like we said before, like that's not a, that's a big thing. That's not a small achievable target. Like that's it's something that is kind of beyond our scope. 
Um, so we devised a long time of like what we were going to do to try and tackle this problem. Um, and so we like looked into other areas of Cornwall and how they've tried to tackle it. We looked into other areas of the UK, like Wales, and how they've tried to tackle it. Even like areas around the world, like other places in Europe, where they've tried to this kind of thing, and sort of pulled together everyone's research and decided um, that we were going to create um, the demands of having um, an extra order of planning, planning permission for second homes and holiday lets um, in Falmouth. So we to start with just Falmouth. Let's just go with this with one town try and get this town council to pass this. Um, so another order of planning permission for second homes and holiday lets so that like a local council would have to give permission to someone to either convert something into a second home or a holiday let. Um, so basically there's like a registry of them so they can see how many there are and they can say yes or no to them based on you know the housing needs of the area. Um, and then we had an extra added clause of you've had to have lived in the area for at least three, you have to live in Cornwall for at least three years before you can apply for a, for a second home or holiday let to be made. Um, with that being a sort of like a loophole deterrent, where it's like, you know, rich people could just try and get around it. But it's like, no, you have to actually have been in the area for a certain amount of time as well. So you can't just like come from outside and just buy up properties, um, which, you know, you have to have been part of the community before you can do it. Um, so that was our campaign uh, goals. So we straight away made that into a petition um, and started getting out here in the doors, uh, getting in the streets, on the street stalls. Um, just went ev anywhere and everywhere with the petition. Um, took it to demonstrations. Um, every everywhere we could, everywhere that we were, we had a petition with us. Um, and we still take it with us all, all, every, everywhere we go. Um, we've had gigs where we've had the petition there, like on the door. Um, you know, doing a fundraiser for Acorn, having the petition on the door as well. So people come in, they get their stamp, and then they also sign the petition. Um, and we've got, yeah, probably almost a thousand uh, signatures if you include the online ones as well. You know, it's quite a lot, really, um, of people that have signed up because it's such a universal issue. You know, whenever we knocked on the door with a petition, mm. everyone would immediately agree that something needs to be done about it. And the people would have their people would have arguments about whether our policy was the right one. But at the end of the day, they agreed that something needed to be done, and they signed mm -hmm. the petition. You know, even second homeowners themselves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, people who you know, a part of holiday let businesses, we got the commercial director of a local holiday agency to sign the petition. Um, so yeah, it's quite a, it's a, it's a, it's a popular campaign. Um, and then, so our next sort of steps was to get, use this petition, use the weight behind it to, uh, to force the hand of the town council. Um, there's an interesting sort of council structure in Cornwall and in the UK, I guess more broadly, it's like town council doesn't really have much power. You have to go up to Cornwall council and then Cornwall Council has to also have power from central government um, to get things done. So we took our petition to the town council and set, got them, they were unanim unanimously supported um, our campaign names and our petition names um, through an official motion that we proposed to them, um, which is a huge win because it meant that the town council is now fully on our side and had promised to make as much noise to Cornwall Council as possible um, to get our demands met. And uh, so then we thought, great, we've got them on our side. Now let's scale it up and go for a bigger target, which is Cornwall Council itself. And uh, Ollie Monk, who is the portfolio holder for housing on Cornwall Council. Um, so recently, just the other day, actually, last week, um, we went up to Cornwall Council um, where we knew Ollie Monk was going to be because he was at a committee meeting there on a planning committee. And we waited outside uh, about 9am in the morning for him to be there. 
um, with the petition in our hand, with our campaign demands, and asking him to meet with us because we've tried to email him and he won't get back to us. And we want to talk to him, talk straight to the you know the man in charge mm -hmm. about why he's not done anything about the situation and what we think would be a good solution to the situation. Um, and after storming up there, um, he didn't he didn't speak to us because <laughs> we didn't see him. I think he either went in the back door or <laughs> might have been tipped off that we were there. Yeah. But he managed to sneak into the building some other way um, and then sneak away again. Um, but as soon as we put online that we'd been there and that he didn't speak to us, he immediately thought, oh, God, I look a bit bad here. <laughs> um, maybe, I should, maybe I should actually try and meet them. Yeah. Um, so I don't you know, ruin my reputation. Um, and so now he's agreed to meet with us just off the bat of that. And, you know, this, I think it might have been even the same day yeah. um, he emailed us asking for a meeting. Um, so now we're in a situation where we could be actually talking to them, you know, the, the main target of the campaign and, mm. and putting our demands to him, which is a good step forward. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, how do you think that meeting's going to go? What's the plan so far? Um, we want it to be quite firm. We don't want it to be something where he can just um, bang on about um, all the things that he... Because I think in the email that he sent to us, he said, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have this meeting so we can talk about what all the good work that we're doing <laughs> as a council, like, all the stuff we're doing. It's like, well, we don't want to talk to you about what you're, what you're doing because the whole point of what we're doing is because we've seen what you're doing and it's not enough. <laughs> we've seen what you're not doing and that's what we're trying to talk to you about. So I think we want to have... We want to have control over the conversation and we want to put yeah our members thoughts to him and our, like our demands to him um and ask him why he, if he's if he doesn't agree with them why doesn't he agree with them if he doesn't mm -hmm. want to do them why doesn't he want to do them why can't he do them does he not have the power to do them and, you know if he doesn't who does have the power to do them because then we can find out okay what's what's our next target or you know what can we promise what can we get him to promise to do that could help us can we can he promise to make more noise you know to go above himself mm -hmm. you know yeah. so it's going to help us to learn if he's the actual target that we need to go for um and it's going to help us um possibly get a promise from him to help push our campaign forward even further as well so yeah i think the main goal is to to try and get him to commit to something which um would make our campaign a lot like yeah even more achievable mm, yeah definitely um i wouldn't want to be ollie monk right now we got, <laughs> got got him running scared um yeah i think like you should be massively proud of that that we've got him to to sit at the table because like i was saying earlier right like we started this campaign with a handful of members really we've grown since then massively and we've now got the power behind us to um to force him to sit down and negotiate with us, basically. So I'm excited to see what you can get out of him, really. It's going to be really good. Nice. Cool. Well, we'll leave it there. But if people are listening and they're keen to get involved with what you're doing in Acorn, uh, Falmouth and Penryn and the campaign, what, what can people do? Um, so people can sign our petition for a start, which is um, online. It's in, I think it's in our Instagram bio. It's on our Facebook page. Uh, Acorn Fan from Penryn. If you just type it up anywhere, it will come up. Um, and we've got our petition. Um, if you see our social media posts anywhere, anywhere, just share them far and wide. Get people talking. Um, and yeah, find out about the Acorn Group in your area if there is one. And if mm. there isn't one, try and start one. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the best advice I can give. Yeah, yeah, very sound advice. Um, 
Yeah, for our international comrades that might actually not know how to spell Falmouth and Pemrin. So if you want to find Dan and the rest of the Falmouth and Pemrin group on Facebook, it is F-A-L-M-O-U-T-H. That's Falmouth and Pemrin is P-E-N-R-Y-N. Nice one. Cool. Well, that's out. us over and out. <laughs>